when we think about the church. You see, for many of us, when we apply that filter generically, maybe you grew up going to church or maybe uh, you became a Christian as an adult, but church was for you a where. It was a when. It was a Sunday morning, 1030 a.m. That the church filter I want to challenge us with this morning is the simple idea that the church is a who, not a where or a when. And that this filter, this freshly applied filter of the church as a who, I think can transform you and I. Specifically, when I say a who, I mean you and me. That the church isn't this physical building that I'm staying in. The church is you and I. And what God is inviting us to do as the church really depends on how we apply this filter. You see, if your filter is a when or a where, then over the last four or five months, the church has been closed down. But if your church filter is a who, you can't shut down a who. We haven't been closed at all. And the the passage specifically that I've been reflecting on throughout the summer, I think is a helpful passage to process through the idea of a church filter. And what does it look like to be the who? What does it look like for you and I to grab hold of a church filter that isn't based on when and where, but is based on the who? And that passage I've been thinking about is found in Mark 2. And I want to kind of walk you through that longer story that's towards the beginning of Mark's letter, because I think it gives you and I a picture of what we could be and should be. Mark is written, it's one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. It's named after the author whose name is Mark, or John Mark was his full name. Mark, most likely, based on what we believe kind of scholarly research, is that Mark writes his letter out of the eyewitness account of Peter. Peter's a fisherman. His ability to read and write wasn't at the level of, say, a Paul who wrote a majority of the New Testament. So Peter would have employed Mark to help him write this letter. And that the reason it matters is because it helps you give it a special insight as you read through Mark, what Mark's trying to do. Mark reads like Peter's personality. It's fast. It sprints through. There's constant words like immediate and suddenly and now. Uh, There's this chronological pacing that's really quick. When you read through Mark, you get a sense that Mark is rushing to the cross, which is where chronologically it begins to slow down. And the time begins to kind of move at a different pace whenever we get to that final week of Jesus's life, because that's where Peter wanted Mark to really emphasize. But there's some nuances that I want to pull out of this passage today. It begins in Mark chapter two. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Jesus, as an adult male around age 30, steps out of this private career where he's been a carpenter or stonemason, some type of construction worker. And out of that career, he kind of comes into the public light as a traveling rabbi. And he's beginning to move around the the northern part of Israel, teaching and preaching and telling people about who he is and the the kingdom of God, which was a popular way he used to describe his teaching, that the kingdom of God had come, that the promises in the Jewish scriptures of the Old Testament, that not just the promised land, but the promised one was coming to fulfillment in him. And so as he's going around teaching, he's performing miracles as a way to bring credibility to what he's saying. Because if you say to someone, I'm the anointed one, I'm the special one, I'm God in flesh, 
but you can't even open up a can of salsa, people are probably going to look at you like, "Mm, I don't know if God came down to earth if he would have trouble opening up a can of salsa. You would think there's some special things that come along with that. And so Jesus uses his miracles to confirm his message. And so in the midst of that early kind of stage in that northern part of Israel, in an area called Capernaum, which is situated in there, people hear about the fact that Jesus is coming back to his hometown where he's been living. Now, we don't think that he actually comes to a physical home, like his physical house. We think he comes back to the town where he had operated his business. The reason why we'll get to in a second, it says that they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left. So Jesus, and this is early in his ministry of the course of three years, that people are so excited and so intrigued by who Jesus is that they show up to his house and to the, to the house that he's gathered and they completely kind of pile in like sardines. And it says that there's no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, when you think house, I don't want you to think the house you live in. Um, I want you to kind of picture something akin to uh, more like an adobe structure or like a mud hut that you might find in um, second and third world countries today because the building construction was very similar to that. The houses were usually multi-leveled. The top, out, the top part was usually hardened clay that was almost sturdy enough that you really could actually stand on. People used the house, the roof of the house, as a way to dry out clothing, to cook, to sit in the cool of the day. And inside the house, there would have been windows, and there would have been a door, but it's not lock and key door like you're thinking, like I'm thinking. It would have been very flimsy. All of this kind of construction helps you to understand why they were standing outside the door, and he was still speaking to them. Because the room, the house itself would have been just one large room. Him in the middle of the house projecting his voice, everyone would have been able to clearly hear it. And it says in verse 3 that some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, in that day and age, there was no government welfare system. There wasn't a a nonprofit. There wasn't an ADA. And so there was this idea that if you were paralyzed, you were probably under the judgment of God and you deserved it. And because you were paralyzed, you could not work. So it meant that once your immediate family passed away, you were pretty much left to beg and depend on others. It was a really tragic life for many people in that day and age who were paralyzed or crippled. And this man had friends. He had four of them, maybe more, because Mark makes a point that says that there's some men that came, but that there were four of them. So perhaps there was a larger group of them, and four of them are carrying. We don't know what exactly set this in the motion. Maybe they heard Jesus speak. Maybe they watched Jesus perform a miracle. But some of them gathered enough insight about Jesus to know that he is different and that maybe he could transform their friend. The medicine employed at that day would look like torture to us today. And so he had no hope of ever physically being anything but paralyzed. So their friends come together. We think that there's actually hope for you. We've heard about, we've seen this man named Jesus. And we've heard the rumors is he's come back to this area. So it says that they arrive. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So it's clear when they walk up. The crowds are everywhere. They're not going to get anywhere close to Jesus. And so it says they turned around and they went back home. And as they walked away, they told their friend, sorry, buddy, today 
is not your day. This is coming from not Mark chapter 2, right? Like that's not exactly what happened. Fortunately for that man, what they did is it says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the biographical accounts of Jesus. I I love this moment because I I love who these men are and what they represent. They're the church filter of what it looks like to be that who. When I read this story, probably the other reason I absolutely love this story is because my childhood hero growing up was this guy. Um, Now, most of you under the age of probably 35 have no clue who that guy is. His name is MacGyver. And MacGyver was a television show that ran that centered around this man who, with a paperclip and some duct tape, could make anything. He could make a rocket. He could make a bedazzler. He could make a fax machine. I mean, he could do anything with what he could get his hands on. And he did it all looking good at the same time. You see, you can't see it in this picture, but there's the, the rumors of something significant on the backside of his head, and it's called a mullet. Now, the scientific definition of a mullet is the business is up front and the party is in the back. You would have a short kind of business cut up here like he does. And on the back, when you turned around, it was pate, right? The hair was long. It was flowing. And so he made mullets look good. In fact, even as I, growing up, he inspired me. And in fact, like I want to imagine MacGyver with a mustache, a mustache and a mullet. I think taken together would be next level. So um, if you're still with me, could you just put in the comments for my wife, hey, Jenny, with a G, he needs a mullet and a mustache, right? Just go ahead and put it in the comments. You're saving a marriage today. Mullet and a mustache in the comments, please. Thank you, right? So anyways, so what I loved about MacGyver was he kind of embodied this unique way of engaging challenges. He would walk into a problem, he would look around and see what he had, and he would use those things to fix the problem. In psychological research, what they would have labeled MacGyver's kind of special ability would have been to overcome functional fixedness. Functional fixedness is where, as humans, we tend to look at an object and we only see an object for what it, in our minds, does. So if you see a hammer, for example, all you see is something that would bang and press in nails. If you see keys, you would look at keys and all you would think is something that opens a door. But someone who um, has, has worked to overcome functional fixedness would see in a set of keys something like a doorway. I mean, like a paperweight or a door jam or a musical instrument or potential screwdriver or a wedge, right? So someone who has an ability to overcome functional fixedness can look at an object and see more purposes and more practical uses than just the one prescribed on it. If you've ever um, felt like there was something in your eye or wanted to check your face, whether it was makeup or just, you know, whatever, and you pull out your phone and you put on your front camera and you use it as a mirror, what you're doing in that moment is you're being MacGyver. You're overcoming functional fixedness. And all of that's helpful because what we see these men do is exactly that. They MacGyver their way into the house. They overcome the functional fixedness. And the way that they were able to do that, I think, is really essential for us as we process through, as a church, what we're going to do in the fall. You see, if they had arrived at that place and their goal 
their purpose was to have gone through the front door, then they would have had plans that became very fragile when they arrived and saw the crowds. If, however, their purpose was to get their friend in front of Jesus, when they arrived and the door was jammed closed, then what they would have had then was an ability to have agile plans, not fragile plans, because the purpose was not to walk through the door. The purpose was to get their friend in front of Jesus so that he could walk like he'd never done before. Like that was the goal. That was the purpose. And when you have the right purpose, then your plans aren't fragile. Your plans can be agile. They arrive, they look at the situation, the door is closed, but it's okay because they're there to get their friend in front of Jesus. And so what did they do? Now, the roof, like I said earlier, was used for um, sunbathing. It was used for um, drying off clothes, cooking, um, the evening air, right? And so they go up onto the roof. And as they're standing on the roof, there's a, a subtlety in the passage that says that they lowered him in front of Jesus. Well, the reason they could lower him in front of Jesus is because they're on the roof and they're walking around. And they're like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Oh, wait, that's not right here. Yeah, yeah, that's where he is. And so they get down on their knees and they start to dig. Now, remember, it's made uh, from a collection of um, stems and leaves and, and branches and, and hardened soil that was a kind of a functional um, plaster of its day. And so they begin to chip and bang. Now, on the other side, inside the house, there the, the primary means of lighting in those days were the light that came through the windows and oil lamps. And so they're sitting in there. It would have been smoky. It would have been kind of a little dimmer. And then all of a sudden, there, a little bit of dust falls on the heads of people centered in the room. And then more dust falls. And then a pinhole of light shoots straight through and illuminates the dust. And then the hole gets bigger. And bigger. And now all of a sudden, it looks like construction workers have shown up to install a new sunroof in this house. And then in a moment, this huge hole becomes dark because something has filled it in. And then the silhouette of what appears to be some type of curved figure blocks out the light and is lowered down all the while dust is falling right in front of Jesus. And in the course of doing that, these men reveal MacGyver, this idea that their goal was to get their friend in front of Jesus. And so they try the roof. Now, the reason I love Mark, and this story is only in the book of Mark, is because historians believe the house that they're sitting in is Peter's house. Now, let me just, right, if you had friends over tonight, and there were a group of people, let's imagine your friend was famous and people show up outside wanting to see your friend who's come over to visit you. And then while you're in the midst of talking, something kind of some, some like drywall dust falls on your head. And then soon you've got a hole being cut through your roof. Like you're going to notice and remember that story. Mark gets the visual unpacking of that day from Peter because Peter's like, yep, I remember that day because the next day I had to go to Home Depot and fix my roof. Because these dudes cut a hole through my roof to get their friend in front of Jesus. And because they had that commitment to that purpose, it allowed them to have not fragile plans, but agile plans. 
And I love, love that filter of these men who are so committed that they'll stop at nothing. And that they'll reflect my childhood hero. And that filter of what it means to look and to be the church. People who will stop at nothing to accomplish the purpose. Now, let me hit pause for a second because that, I think, that just that little simple nugget of what I just give, if you, if you don't believe anything I've just said, that little simple nugget is a game changer for so many different areas of life if you apply it. I have watched marriages fall apart because they lose sight of the purpose. The purpose becomes to win an argument. The purpose is to be right. And when that's your purpose, then your plans become pretty fragile when you start to argue. But if your purpose is to get to the end of the life still holding hands and that you both are better because of that, then an argument, your plans in the argument look a lot more agile than fragile. Because it's not about being right. It's about focusing on what's right. And this has so many implications for so many areas of our life. And this is one of the reasons I've been thinking about this passage so much is because it's so helpful in so many different spheres, whether it's in your professional life, whether it's in parenting, right? Is, is the purpose to, to dominate and to show the power and the authority you have? Or is the purpose to raise and to, to grow whole, spiritually whole and healthy kids who are going to become adults? In our parenting style, my end game is that in, in the end that, that we will become adult friends. That I, I think frequently about the day Um, Even when I showed you that picture earlier of my daughter, the reason it really moved me is because I I think a lot about the day when she's 30 and she texts or calls or maybe at that point there'll be like holograms. And so she'll like send me a hologram that says, hey, dad, I'm at uh, I'm in town today, would love to grab coffee um, or eat a meal with you. And knowing that maybe she has a bunch of friends in towns, but the, 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 the guy that she wants to hang out with is me or my son. That over the course of the summer, one of the prayers I've been praying for him is, God, like, help me to lead him in a way that, that we're adult friends. Like, like I want to raise a spiritually whole, healthy, prepared for life adult. And I want them to want to be with me even when they don't have to be with me. And that's why I say I love the application of this passage because it changes how I engage. I don't have fragile plans. I have agile plans because if, it's, if this isn't working, then I switch to this because I have an end goal and a purpose that matters. And it constantly gives me a flexibility. And these men embody that, that filter of the who, not the when and the where. What plays out in the rest of this passage is really interesting. And I won't go too much into it today because simply we don't have time to fully unpack all the richness of this passage. But I just kind of want to highlight what plays out when Jesus sees their faith. How does he see their faith? He sees their faith through the way they break through that roof, through action. Mark is making a point that we're going to get to in a second, that faith is an action, not an attitude. And it says that Jesus sees their faith and he says to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there, some religious leaders, and they're thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The word blaspheming means to to claim to be God or to speak against God. And they realize that when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they're like, no one has the right to forgive sins but God. 
Jesus, being aware of that, knew in his spirit that was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? And they're like, oh, this is a trick question. Like, this is one of those all of the above kind of questions, isn't it, Jesus? Because they realize that both are really difficult. Now, if Jesus is who he says he is, and what he's been demonstrating over the last few months, then he has the power to do both. That he recognizes what Jesus knows that they don't know, that the biggest challenge that we have is who we are on the inside. It's our selfishness, it's our arrogance, it's our pride, it's our desire to want to get things our way. I mean, if, if you've got kids, you see this play out every day. I mean, my son turns one in a few days from now, and I've watched over the last year a small little being who's barely bigger than anything growing into this capacity to assert his will. And when people are like, oh, man, babies are just so sweet and charming. I'm like, man, if a toddler ever got hit with some, like, large ray, toddlers would be dictators. Imagine your toddler, the size of you, stronger than you. They'd beat you up to get that extra mum-mum or to get another one of those, like, treats, right? Like, that nature on the inside is our biggest barrier. I was watching a documentary about um, traveling to Mars because that's what I do. And, and one of the things that's been proven over and over, whether it was in Biosphere 2 or whether it's research with NASA or a joint research project that came out in the early 2000s between NASA and the Russian kind of agent, space agency, what they concluded that was the biggest challenge to getting to Mars were not the technological barriers. It was the human barrier. You and I, who we are, that part inside of us, our brokenness, is the biggest barrier to getting to space and to going to someone like Mars. Because we, on the inside, have a far bigger struggle than what we have physically on the outside. And Jesus understands this. This is what he says, which is easier. And it's actually easier to tell a man to get up and walk. Medicine has eventually been able to do that. But nothing, no counseling, no scientific advancements, none of that. No education, no degrees, no cars, no houses, none of that fixes what's wrong on the inside. And so what does Jesus do? He's making the point. He says, I've forgiven your sins. And then he says, but I want you to know that the son of man, which was a, a kind of a, one of his terms that he would use a free, frequently in the book of Mark, actually, to refer to himself as God as the promised one, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. So he got up, took his mat and walked out in the full view of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this before. Right? I, I love it. He didn't come through the door, but he walked out of the door with everyone's mouth on the floor. And what did they say? They, they just say, man, we've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. And I think that the church is still meant to embody that kind of outcome when we apply this church filter of a who, not a where or a when. That the church is meant to be that powerful force that transforms people from the inside out. Because we know the one person who can do it all. The one person who can do the hardest work of defeating that man or woman in the mirror that frequently gets in the way of the man and the woman that deep down inside we want to be. And that... One of the ways Mark 
teases out this moment, this story, is through some of the nuancing of the words. See, Mark, if you read through it in its entirety multiple times, you'd start to notice some patterns. And one of the patterns you would notice is Mark's almost borderline obsession with crowds. The word crowds is actually found 40 times in the first 10 chapters alone. But if you were to read the language that Mark wrote this in, you'd also notice at the beginning of the story that there's, there's this rhyme. And it, it affects you subconsciously. Like I keep, I keep finding myself in this message rhyming things. And I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to pull a Dr. Seuss sermon. But I find myself kind of rhyming because I've been reflecting on Mark's rhyme at the beginning of this passage. Because Mark chooses to rhyme two words that have a significant significant kind of parallel theme in his letter. He rhymes the word for crowd with the word for house. In English, they don't rhyme. But in the language of the day, Greek, they do. And Mark uses these two words to represent something frequently. Crowds, seen over 40 times, have a defining trait of passivity. They are frequently present with Jesus, but they're not personal followers of Jesus. And that oftentimes crowds get in the way of what God is trying to accomplish, not following in the way of what God is inviting them into. And that's contrasted with the house. The house in the book of Mark is often the site of special revelation. It's the site of special information and transformation of, you know, the moments where someone is made different or someone gets a piece of information from Jesus that opens their eyes. And the house is where the committed are present. And so Mark uses this crowd and the committed, this crowd and the house dynamic throughout his letter to make the point that proximity alone is not enough. He's saying that proximity, the where and the when, that's not what defines those people who follow him. It's not enough to be in the room where it happens. Because that's not what he's inviting us into. Proximity is not the same thing as that personal following of Christ. And that Mark is trying to paint a grander picture that what marks the committed is their action. Like those four men who broke through, who provided a way, who said, I'm going to do something. That the church is a who, not a where, not a when. And as I've been processing through that this summer, it's, it's really been helpful for me as I've been thinking through the fall for us. Your surveys have been really helpful. We were blown away with the number of surveys we received. And that your surveys, coupled with what we've been wrestling through with the tension of this, helped us to really engage and think through what does it look like? Because there's a tension that we've been holding. How do we hold the tension of safety and wisdom with the tension of who the church is and what we're supposed to do? That the church, I think, is marked by two different things that you see present in this passage. You see a social dynamic. These, these friends so committed to their friend having life that they would stop at nothing to get him closer to Jesus. And a spiritual dynamic of the content and the transformation that Jesus himself brings. And this creates a tension. 
Because you and I were never made to social distance. I really hate the term, in fact. Because for public health policy, we may need to physically distance because of the physics of viral transformation and transmission. But we weren't made to socially distance. We weren't made to relationally disconnect. And I'm grateful, honestly, that we have and we live in an ability in a world where technology exists. Today, we're having a birthday party for my son through Zoom because we have family members spread all over the U.S. And we, we knew it wasn't really feasible. Some of them aren't going to be comfortable or are, are unable to travel here. And so today, we will have a Zoom birthday party for my one-year-old. But simultaneously, we all know because we've experienced, we've sat in Zoom meetings, we've watched our kids Zoom, that Zoom, you eventually get Zoomed out. And that we wanted to make sure as we were processing that we kept Zooming out to remind ourselves of what is the purpose, what are we trying to accomplish. Social, spiritual, with the tension of the safety. And your survey was so incredibly helpful because what we found in the survey is that so many of you right now are not comfortable with large crowds. That almost seven out of ten of you said, you know what, if we were invited back this weekend, we would take a wait and see approach. Some of you are going to wait till school starts back. Some of you are going to wait till there's a virus, uh, some type of vaccine or antiviral treatment. For the families, it was even starker in the wait and see. Almost nine out of ten of you said, we're going to wait a little bit longer before we're going to be open to walking back into these doors. But there was another part of the survey that also stood out to us. And, and it was the number of you who said you were comfortable with smaller crowds. And so looking at that tension of how do we navigate and accomplish both the social and the spiritual while simultaneously being wise and being safe. The wisdom part, because realistically, the, as the governor did on Friday, in a moment, like our friends who own restaurants know, that in a moment, guidelines can shift. That what was fine on Thursday all of a sudden becomes a dinosaur on Friday. And so... We wanted to create and to move forward into the fall, realizing all of those things. And the fact that the moment we open our doors, we inherently invite a little bit of risk. That we, we've talked about it frequently, that the moment these doors are open, as, as you can tell, I speak, Zane, Melissa, we're singing without mask, um, because it doesn't really work well with a mask. That the moment we open our doors, because of the size of our facility, that if on Monday we get a phone call from someone who says they're sick, that we have to call the Board of Health and that we're going to have to initiate contact tracing and that we're going to have to, to lean into all the protocols and procedures and it means we're going to have to shut down for two solid weeks. And I'm just not comfortable with that because spiritually and socially we have a purpose. And so the church isn't fragile. We're not created we've never shut down and we will not shut down we're going to be agile and we're going to phase in a return to this building that there was for the remaining almost 30 of you who said we want to be physically present in this space we're working to to make sure this space is safe enough so that we can create opportunities for some of you who are comfortable coming in this room to be able to come into this room 
And over in September and October, um, you will see us start to roll out a ticket, first come, first serve system that allows you to come in and to be present while we're doing this right here live. But for a vast majority of us, we want a smaller group and we're not comfortable yet walking into this room and we're really not comfortable with our family environments. And so we're going to be working through this month to create some new environments that are smaller group environments. Some of them will be physically in this building. Some of them will be in homes. And in the course of that, we're going to be experimenting. September and October, we're going to experiment with services. And what does it look like to have a sermon? So that if something did happen as we open our doors and start to phase in returns of small groups of people, that Jason and I um, are not left with an inability to transmit a message on a Sunday. And so you're going to see some, uh, some, some experiments, some experiments I'm really excited about. But here's where it comes to you, that the church is a who, not a when or where. I need you. I need you to help us try the roof. And to do so, I need you to, for those who are willing to help volunteer, there are some new opportunities that we have for you. That uh, we're going to have to create more videos because our family team, we've shifted and redesigned our family team through the summer. Jenny Causey is, has, has led our babies in preschool, and she's actually going to be expanding in her leadership role and taking over from babies all the way through elementary. And for most of those kids who've went through, who've been with Encounter Church for a while, they'll remember the special kind of moments she created for them when they were in preschool. And the amazing volunteers and the teams that she's built in preschool, um, that, that just passion, it's just like Dallas has already built. It's just going to continue to spill over and grow. And that from our preschool and elementary, that we're going to roll out some new environments, both physical and digital. But to do some of the things we want to do, we need you. We need people who are willing to come in midweek, put on a mask and lend a hand and put together some, some things that we want to create for kids that call Encounter Church home because we want them to spiritually thrive. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live through Groundhog Day like I did this spring where every day felt like the exact same day. I'm tired of repeating some days. I want to retake my day. And we want to help your kids retake the day even if they're resigned to Zoom calls that they can spiritually thrive, even if schools return back to what we experienced in the spring. And to do that, we need you to step in, to help us create videos. If you, are, if you know how to operate a camera, even if you're a photographer, if you know how to move around a computer, we would love for you to be a part of that. If you are willing to put on a mask and lend a hand during the middle of the week, there's opportunities for you. If you're willing to put on a mask and lend a hand on Sunday morning, there's opportunities for you because we're having to work through sanitation policies and procedures in order to create this space and to make this safe, space safe every single week as we begin to intentionally, in a very phased and incremental way, open up our doors in September and October to the small groups of you who are interested in coming back in. And if you have a passion for marketing and communication, if you have an ability to build websites and code apps, I'm telling you, like, we are rethinking a lot of things. We're not fragile. We're going to be agile. 
And you can go to EncounterChurch.com forward slash roof. There's a, a, a form there to let us know where you're interested. If you're interested in being a part of one of those smaller groups, not maybe necessarily this room or maybe this room, but if you're interested in being a part of smaller social groups that are safe, that we kind of follow guidelines, but give you a place of spiritually thriving and socially connecting, then let us know in that form. And if you want to be a part of maybe even opening up your house, you can let us know there too. Regardless, we can't do this without you. Our team can't do this without you because you are the church. That's the filter that these men reflected and that God established as his pattern for his people. And so I want to encourage you to go there right now, encounterchurch.com forward slash roof. Let us know. You're not committing to anything today. You're just letting us know. And we'll follow up with you. And today our band's going to close this out with a song that I think perfectly captures why we can have this passion, why we can be so excited about the potential. Because Jesus is still in the process. He's still in the business of transforming and bringing life and giving hope and making people new from the inside out. He's still in the business of transforming marriages and restoring relationships and breaking the bonds and chains of things that we find ourselves enslaved to. He's still in the business of setting captives free and bringing dead things back to life. He's still doing that. And though we want to close today with a prayer, a simple song that says, do it again. God, we've seen you move mountains. Do it again. We've seen you cause the lame to walk. Do it again. God, we've seen you take a group of men and women and change the world. Do it again. Do it again in me and do it again with this we called Encounter Church. And so we want to end today with that simple prayer and that simple declaration that God's not done. He's not done with you. He's not done with me. And that there can be a new beginning even as we go into what feels like potentially a repeat of the spring. And that we can have hope. We can have energy, compassion, joy, and peace regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the filter that is the church, the filter that brings us hope, that filter that is you. Thank you for the opportunity to come together today, digitally, to, to reflect and to sing and to declare who you are. God, I pray even right now that you would stir and move in the hearts of people people who maybe aren't comfortable walking in but are willing to come in during the week, wear a mask and make a difference in the lives of people at this church. God, stir in the hearts of people who Monday through Friday use their abilities and their passions to make a difference in their workforce. God, may you awaken in them the reality that their ability to code, to build websites and apps, or to think through communication strategy can be leveraged by you to help this church shine bright and new this fall. And may you... Give within all of us a freshness, a new filter that awakens the potential of a church that's a who and all that that who can do through you. Help us be those kind of people. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray.